With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today's episode of Word Balloon is brought to you by The Comics Canon, the podcast that reads, reviews, and renders judgment on the greatest comic book stories of yesterday and today. Every two weeks, experienced journalists and critics Kevin Moreau and Kurt Holman hold in-depth yet accessible discussions on such well-known comics as Batman, The Dark Knight Returns, Civil War, Preacher, The Walking Dead, Fun Home, and more works that have become mass media icons. Also, they discuss popular comics like Saga and landmark events like the Dark Phoenix Saga and the death of Gwen Stacy. Each episode answers the questions, how do these stories hold up? What's their larger impact on comics or pop culture? And do they belong in that Hall of Fame of comic stories known as the Comics Canon? The current episode is on Batman, the Court of Owls, and features special guest Glenn Weldon, NPR contributor, author of Cape Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture, and former Word Balloon guest. It just in time for the new Logan movie, the next episode, which drops on March 1st, will review Wolverine, Old Man Logan. Comics Canon is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and of course their website, comicscanon.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, we got a great double feature for you today. Uh, we're going to start with Kyle Higgins. Kyle, as you know, a great uh, Marvel and DC writer, uh, currently writing Power Rangers for Boom Studios, but also uh, Kyle's a filmmaker, and uh, he has a new short, The Shadow Hours, that is a proof of concept short that uh, not only does he hope to make into a full feature film, but the short itself will be running in a Chicago Film Festival coming up at the beginning of March. We talked to Kyle about the Shadow Hours in our last Word Balloon conversation just two months ago, and uh, he's back because of this uh, uh, festival that's coming up in Chicago, and he wanted to uh, let the Chicago Word Balloon listeners know about it. Beyond that, the short is uh, hitting the film festival uh, tour, and uh, he gives us some other dates and locations where you can see the Shadow Hours. And uh, for more information, you can contact the uh, Shadow Hours uh, Facebook page or go on their website. It's a great chance to uh, catch up with Kyle and uh, really just look at uh, where short films are. And especially with uh, the Oscars coming up in uh, just under a week, uh, I think it's a great uh, opportunity to talk about uh, filmmakers and, and their struggles as they uh, try to uh, get noticed and get the big job. So... A uh, great short conversation with Cal Higgins to start things off on Word Balloon. Then we turn our focus to Ben Blacker. Now, Ben Blacker and Ben Acker have been a writing team for quite some time. They used to write on the television show Supernatural and Super Ninja. They also are uh, behind, uh, well, Ben is at least, uh, Blacker is behind two great podcasts from the Nerdist Network. There is uh, the Nerdist Writers Panel and the Nerdist uh, Comics Writers Panel. And uh, both are excellent programs, and I've had uh, Ben on the show before. I've also had his co-host on many times, Heath Corson. Ben is black because he's got a great new book that he is writing for Boom, along with writing partner Ben Acker and a third writer, Andrew Miller. All three together are writing a, a great Western for Boom called Death Be Damned. 
four-part story. Uh, we're in the midst of that story right now. And uh, it's uh, great to catch up with Ben. Gives me an opportunity to talk about uh, what's been going on on TV recently. We got a couple new television shows already mid-season that have debuted. Shows like Powerless and Legion. Uh, and it's great to get uh, Ben's point of view on those and uh, other things as well. So uh, I think it's a great uh, double feature for you. Kyle Higgins and Ben Blacker on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. Man, I'll tell you, every week uh, a couple more people are, are coming on and becoming new League of Word Balloon listeners, subscribers. Uh, to Word Balloon via Patreon, some existing members of uh, the league are upping their subscriptions from a dollar to three dollars or three dollars to five dollars. Thank you truly for your support. It really does mean a lot. It makes it easier to produce the show and uh, make uh, the adjustment adjustments that are necessary to uh, give you the best possible Word Balloon podcast. And also go to the conventions and uh, book new people and uh, bring you new conversations each week here on Word Balloon. So thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. If you want to be part of the league, if you think uh, what I do here is worth the price of a comic book, can you spare that much? If you go to wordballoon.com, uh, you can click on the Patreon ad there or go directly to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash wordballoon, and that's uh, where the subscription page is. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. It's also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. And there's some great deals going on. I can't believe Rick Remender and Jerome Pena's 7 to Eternity is already out in uh, trade paperback. But uh, the first four issues are collected. And uh, it's a hell of a deal, man. Uh, 42% off, just $5.79 for that new sci-fi epic. You can get Deadpool and The Secret Defenders. Uh, this is uh, 42% off from Marvel. $17.39. They uh, reach back at DC for a collection of Batman and the Outsiders, that excellent series from Mike Barr and Jim Aparo, where Batman split off from the Justice League and started his own group back in the 80s. Uh, 50% off for Volume 1. It is $24.99. You can also get War of Kings, Aftermath. Uh, the uh, Marvel Cosmic at its best with... Uh, Dan Abnett and uh, Andy Lanning and uh, lots of great artists. Uh, this is uh, an excellent collection of the uh, War of Kings Aftermath, the Realm of Kings Omnibus. It is 50% off, just $62.50. You can get Future Quest from Doc Shaner and Jeff Parker. Goodness, what a great book. Yes, I said goodness. Uh, because it is. It's uh, some of the Hanna-Barbera heroes at their best. Look in the way they should because of the way Evan Shaner drew it. And uh, I know that uh, Jeff Parker was a Saturday morning warrior just like me growing up, and he knows these characters. It's an excellent story. Future Crest, you can get the uh, – it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a finite series. Volume 1, though, uh, issues 1 through 6, even featuring some uh, great work from uh, guys like Steve Root as well in that. 50% uh, off for Volume 1. It's $8.49 from InStockTrades.com. Don't forget, orders $50. Receive free shipping from InStockTrades.com. All right, let's turn our uh, attention now to Kyle Higgins and short films. Uh, Kyle is a movie buff. He's a younger movie buff, so it's interesting to hear the movies that he discovers. Um, things, again, sadly, that because of our age difference, I remember seeing in the movie theater. But when I think about some of these movies, as you'll hear, it's like, yeah, that's a 32-year-old movie. I, you know, that counts as an old movie these days. Uh, it's very interesting. You know, even Leonard Malton on his podcast was talking about 
um, movies that are new classics, modern classics. And again, because of time, even a film like Back to the Future has to be thought about, uh, given that it's 32 years old, as a a possible modern classic. And by the way, I would say yes, of course it is. So uh, let's hear Kyle Higgins, but uh, primarily here to talk about the Shadow Hours that's uh, appearing in a film festival here in Chicago, coming up at the beginning of March, and a few more uh, uh, locations as well in the weeks and months ahead. So happy to check in with Kyle Higgins about the Shadow Hours now on Word Balloon. I'm kind of on a Paul Newman kick right now. I just watched um, uh, The Color of Money oh, for the first time. Really? I'm in Brian. I'm in Brian Bucciolato's, uh apartment right now, and I'm like gauging his reaction as I said that. My best to Butch, uh, and I and yeah, I am interested in his response as well. Um, nothing surprises him anymore because there's so much shit I haven't seen. <laughs> Well, but uh, and of all it's the Newman, great. Oh, it is. You know something? It is a good movie. It's, but you know, I got to be honest. I'm kind of a snob. I'm like, it's a, it's a really good '80s movie. It's a, and a, yeah. you know, Scorsese as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, again, I, I really like. I, I was expecting HUD, or uh, <laughs> you know, oh. Drowning Pool, <laughs> something, you know, whatever. Well, I went back and I'm like watching The Hustler now because I'd never okay. seen. I think I've, oh, I think I've seen The that, Hustler. That's the, that's the order you're going in. I know I'm doing it reverse. I know <laughs> you're doing it. Reverse. I, I think I've seen, I, but I think I've seen the Hustler when I was a kid. There's a lot of it that's familiar. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's cool. I kind of like watching it in reverse. Um, it's fun. But uh, anyway, yeah. So I'm leaving this part in because I, I, I if it's okay, <laughs> if, if the Paul Newman talk is okay. Yeah, totally. All right, good because this is a good lead into uh, more movie talk that we're about to have with Kyle Higgins, who rejoins us on Word Balloon. And you know me, I love old movies, so I'm really happy to hear when uh, when you guys are, are, are looking at stuff. And, I mean, God, Color of Money, now that I think about it, it's a 32-year-old movie, something yeah. like that, right? 85? Uh, 87? Brian, when was it? Was it 85? Yeah. I'm going to say... You can hear him. He said no. He, oh, it is 88? Is that what he said? He said 88. Something like that. All right. We, well, you know, we got the internet right here. So while we're talking, we can look it it's up. 86. Oh, did you already look it up? 86? He looked it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was all right. We're in the ball I'm surprised you didn't know that. He's a, he's a, uh, Marty's his guy. I respect it. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> uh, we, were, uh, we were in a couple of years, within yeah. a couple of years. So we're doing all right. Um, yeah, my, um, my parents got me for, well, first of all, thank you for having me back it's on. It's always a pleasure. Um, there's a reason for this talk, obviously. Yes, but, indeed. Uh, we're going to get to it. Um, my parents got me for, uh, for Christmas this year. I think the last time I was on, I was still back in Chicago. Yeah, I was still back in Chicago. Um, so this marks our first conversation where I'm not in the state of Illinois during it, which is very exciting. Um, but, uh, but shortly after we talked, uh, for Christmas, my, my parents got me a subscription to Filmstruck, which is, um, this new app that I've, I've been very excited about for months. And it finally launched, and so they got me the subscription. And it's, it's uh, the Criterion um, Criterion Collection and Turner Classic Movies launched this app together. So it's like the exclusive, like digital home for the Criterion Collection, and then Turner Classic Movies um, curates all the films on the app wow. as well, including the Criterion films. So it's it's really exciting. Um, the only downside right now is that it hasn't launched for Roku yet. Uh, yeah. so I can't actually like, I'm using, uh, 
Booch's uh, Brian Bucciolato's uh, Apple TV a spare one he has, <laughs> but it's not new enough to actually download apps. Ah! It's, com- it's just whatever apps are. I haven't told you this yet, oh, but it's whatever apps come pre-installed. So like I can airplay Criterion movies from my phone or from a computer, right. which is better than, you know, nothing, nothing obviously, right. but I'm looking forward to being able to get it on the Roku and actually, you know, Oh God, I hope that happens. Cause you I, know, do it properly. Yeah, man. I mean, I have, uh, I have the Warner archive app. Oh yeah, and that has a lot of cool old movies. Now for Criterion, does it have also you know the commentaries and the bonus documentaries yes. and stuff? Fantastic, yes. fantastic. Yeah, it's like streaming a special features disc. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool idea. I'm really worried, especially after I talked to Rob Meyer Burnett, um, who uh, beyond uh, doing the occasional TV directing and he made Free Enterprise the trek fan movie that uh, was shatner back in 99 and he's with those mm-hmm. he, he did a little bit with the our people he you know i don't know if you know the name but he does a lot of bonus features for dvds did it for the x-men movies did it for superman returns which is amazing and funny yeah the lord of the ring films he worked on those and a lot of oh, wow. star trek bonus feature stuff and he was you know being in the business and stuff he's like yeah i don't know how long how much longer you know, studios are going to invest in those kind of bonus features anymore. I don't know. I don't know what you That's hear. a bummer. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know either. I, I have a couple friends who worked in that um, on that side of things, but I, I haven't talked to them in a while. One of a, one of my friends worked for um, New Wave, which be, they were hot for a little while doing a lot of that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, the whole physical media kind of side of things obviously is changing a lot. That said, I just read an article somewhere recently because um, I ended up getting in my new place. I I, <laughs> I I bought an Ikea bed so I could get afford the 65-inch the 4K HDR set that I wanted, right? Because <laughs> priorities, John. I, and, hey, Lightfield uh, just did the same thing. He upgraded. <laughs> Everybody's upgrading. It's all right. Yeah. But uh, but no, I have like a I have a UHD player now because I'm like Mister Physical Media. Like I turned one of the closets in my new apartment into my Blu-ray uh, collection, complete with like you know puck lighting and everything. So uh, <laughs> uh, so um, so I well anyway so so I have this this player now um, to do 4K like HDR movies and just. My big thing about like 4K for the long for a long time has been like I didn't understand the point, um, especially since everything is shifting to um, is is shifting to uh, uh, downloadable and streaming content. Like the right. compression alone defeats the purpose of doing something at a higher resolution where you're gonna you're you're still introducing artifacting and the compression just isn't there yet and the bandwidth isn't there yet. And physical media will still kind of blow that out of the water. And basically this article I was reading was talking about the uptick in uh, physical media sales with um, the 4K, the UHD discs that are starting to come out. And like the jump from – they were saying something about the sales the sales jump from Blu-ray to uh, UHD has been much bigger than DVD to Blu-ray. Like they've seen much bigger um, sales numbers. Wow. Um, which is weird to think about, yes. but um, as far as like 
taking full advantage of a format, um, I mean, yeah, you're, you're not going to get much better than, uh, you're not going to get better than, than the disc format for, for some of this, at least not in the foreseeable future until like Google fiber <laughs> takes over the world. Right. Um, or something. Cause even the stuff I watch in 4k on, on Netflix or Amazon prime and, and, and the stuff that's HDR on Netflix, um, doesn't look nearly as good as, um, as it does in disc format. In a physical disc, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's so weird because, yeah, man, even uh, during Blu-rays, especially early on, I'm like, God damn, fuck you. How many times do I have to rebuy this movie? <laughs> right. You know, and again, yeah, I'm just like you and everything, you know, total movie hog. I would totally do that with one of my closets and, and trick it out for all my uh, all my physical uh, video and stuff. Because it's great, John, let me tell you. <laughs> that's a great idea, man. Uh, you're, you know, you got me envious. That would be fun, and I could do it. I got the space. So, you should. Yeah, I'm, 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 <laughs> good idea. Well, anyway, I want to. Uh, I do want to give the opportunity to talk about what you came on to talk about, and that is uh, your movie is having its uh, theatrical debut in Chicago. Tell us about it. Coming coming up. Yeah, yeah. So it's coming up in um, in March. It's actually uh, it's March fourth. Um, and the last time, yeah, the last time I was on the show, I know we, we talked for, for quite a while about it. It's called the shadow hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a, uh, an 18 minute kind of a neo-noir thriller that I, that I wrote and directed, uh, about two identical twins who have this condition where only one can be awake at a time. And they actually pose as one person. Each one is only awake for half of a day. Um, and they like record audio, uh, messages for each other so that the other one always knows what they supposedly did. Uh, and they, they work as a private investigator. And then there's this kind of budding romance that enters the picture and the one wants out, but it's complicated. Um, and you know, uh, I won't say hilarity ensues, but, uh, complications complications definitely ensue. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so I, I put it together uh, last year, and we have started kind of doing a, a festival run for it. Um, and the next screening coming up is uh, as a part of uh, the fifth annual Juggernaut uh, Film Festival. It's a kind of a – I think it's a, a sci-fi-oriented uh, festival uh, in Chicago, and they're holding it at uh, the Music Box Theater uh, out on Southport um, on the north side. Yep. And so, yeah, it'll be Saturday, uh, March 4th. Um, I think it's there are screenings all day, and then there are going to be panels and like Q&As and stuff like that. Uh, Shadow Hours is going to screen um, around 5.30, uh, is my understanding. And I'm bringing the DCPs for the, for the film. So we'll have a 2K and a 4K version wow. with killer 5.1 sound. Um, I'm not sure if uh, the Music Box can... Uh, can project 4K, but if they can't, the 2K one looks looks really great as well. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about it. I, I could not think of a better venue for um, you know first screening in, in Chicago, and and the feature that I'm writing based on the short all takes place in Chicago. Awesome. So it's kind of a it's kind of a cool warm up uh, feels like uh, for the for the property in general. That's excellent, man. No, I. I... Was excited to hear about it when uh, you mentioned it uh, back in December, and it's great that it's going to be here in Chicago. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's really close to my neighborhood. If people want to learn more, um, you can go to uh, filmfreeway.com slash 
festival slash Juggernaut Film Festival. They also have a Facebook page that yeah. describes the full event. Uh, you can do that. You can also go to theshadowhours.com. Um, there's, uh, there's a ton of material on the film there, but also there's a screening section. And on the main page, if you scroll down, it shows upcoming screen- screenings and all the information as well as um, where you can buy tickets. I think tickets are 20 bucks. Uh, for the whole festival for the day, yeah, and it's uh, um, and it's it's is all there several hours, and yeah, and it's uh, it's a, it, like like Kyle just said, it's all day if you want. And there's a bar out. like there, if you haven't been to the music box before, there's a a, a bar as a part of the old theater. That's like true. it's just a it's just a great it's just a great venue. Like it's a really cool setup. It and, is it is I, one of the old yeah. o- older Chicago theaters, and it has retained a lot of the aesthetics that uh, oh, yeah. made old movie houses great. Um, on the weekends, they have a live organist come in, so there's a likelihood, I would think, uh, before the festival starts, that uh, uh, there will be an organ play, uh, player there, um, and maybe between uh, films and stuff like that, depending on you know how quickly they can get the next thing ready. Um, yeah, and and I went I went to the um, to the theater for the first time actually when I was. Uh, very uh, soon after you and I spoke last, when I was back in in, um, in Illinois and Chicago for those couple months uh, at the end of last year, mm-hmm. and I went with uh, with my buddy Joe Clark, who you've met, yes, uh, the jazz composer uh, who did all the the Cowl Sessions album for our book Cowl, and um, he scored stuff of mine before, and so he took me there to to watch uh, a thirty five millimeter print of Die Hard. Uh, and it was awesome. Um, and so, so Joe will be at, uh, Joe will be at the festival as well. Fantastic. Um, and actually there are some pieces of his that are in the shadow hours as, um, like, uh, source music. Terrific. Uh, Bear, Mc- Bear McCreary did the score, um, for the shadow hours. Uh, but there are a couple jazz needle drops in the film and, um, you know, I think I think one of the tracks is actually from the Cowl Sessions. I think I pulled. Oh, that's um, awesome! So it's all in the family. <laughs> Absolutely, no, that's really great. That's cool. No, Joe's Joe's a lot of fun. We had Akumas. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and watched uh, Incredible Hulk uh, episodes with the sound down. It was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also right in my neighborhood. So no, that's that's great, man. I'm really looking uh, forward to seeing the Shadow Hours uh, at uh, the Music Box on March 4th. That's wonderful. Very, very cool. Yeah. So, um, no, I appreciate uh, you uh, having me on to, to to plug it and whatnot. And it's it's not a comic, but it's it's comic related. And, sure and the the poster is well, the poster was illustrated by Trevor McCarthy, uh, my Gates of Gotham brother. Oh, that's fantastic. So, um, very cool. Yeah, yeah. So it is very it is very comic uh, centric. It's funny. Okay. It's funny. Some I, I've gotten. Like I've had some meetings out here um, in L.A. where you know I'll go in and someone has seen the movie and they go, "Oh yeah, like you know, it really feels like every frame is like a graphic novel," you know. And it's I just kind of I try not to roll my eyes because it's like, well, you're saying that because you know I write comics for a living, <laughs> like fuck you. There's no no, it doesn't. They it looks like a movie, you know. Like I understand. But um, but yeah, I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm blind to yeah, the, too close to to the comic I influences. We'll to, I guess. I'll, 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 yeah. uh, no, Brian. Brian's sitting in the background saying they're wrong. Okay, good. Well, that's good. 
No, man, it's exciting. And uh, hey, man, you got you and Book. Uh, honestly, I, I look forward to uh, as as your uh, film uh, and screenwriting careers and filmmaking careers progress. And uh, no, I think you guys know what you're doing, and it's the right connection will happen. And uh, you know that's good. I'll, I can honestly say I knew you when, and uh, you know you'll keep coming back to Word Balloon like. Lope still comes back and Bendis still comes back and we'll talk about oh, the dude, this is like this is like the highlight of my this is this is definitely the highlight highlight of my week, I'll say that. Ah, you're a good man. Um but yeah, my, I wanna come back and I wanna shoot in the city. That's that's my that's my intention. Good. So we can do we can do episodes from uh from the set. There you go. Hey man, and also or you know, I I'll I could play a bartender, I could be a, a little cameo. A bouncer at a bar oh, no, or something you, like that. Oh, you're in the feature. Yeah, no, you I've it's it's already <laughs> That's already been uh, been established. Excellent. Fantastic. I'll be like in uh, when Fred Flintstone has a cameo on one episode and they're in Hawaii. Yeah, you get to say, please pass the poi. I'm like, all right. <laughs> That'll be fine. I'll take that. Oh, man. No, that's cool. Have uh, have fun. And, again, Shadow Hours, March 4th, uh, Saturday, Music Box Theater in Chicago. And uh, look for their Facebook page. Go to shadowhours.com. What other cities are coming up after Chicago? Kyle, or is there anything in between or before? Uh, there are. Well, it's and, and just to clarify, it's uh, it's theshadowhours.com. Thank you. Because um, I think Shadow Hours was something else. It's a point. Uh, <laughs> but uh, hopefully not uh, not a movie. Um, but uh, yeah, other cities we've got uh, we've got New Mexico uh, coming up after, and then we have Beverly Hills uh, out here in LA, uh, and then there are. Um, I don't think the others have been announced yet, but there are some other festivals that we got into. But we have like a list of like we submitted to, um, we submitted to like sixty, I want to say, and we're waiting to hear back from like forty. So like the way that whole kind of um, scene works is that you basically are submitting like months and months and months and months and months in advance, and then the notification dates kind of all just start to pile up on you so like i submitted everything last summer and in the fall which means that now i'm starting to get all the notifications whether you know we're going to screen or not um and i think i'm like from now until i want to say like october november like we should be hearing from like four a month um, wow. So it should be like a steady stream of, you know, and we could get turned down from all of them, obviously. But, sure. um, you know, you hope uh, it's such a saturated um, it's such a sat- saturated kind of field. I had no idea when uh, when I started submitting, you know, and I think the, the well, actually the first festival we got into was Holly Shorts, which is a big festival out here in, in L.A., and it was so much fun, but I was like talking to a bunch of other filmmakers there going like, you know, what, what should I expect? Like how many, you know, they're like, you're going to basically festivals you think you're going to get into are going to say no. And then you're going to randomly get into ones that you thought you had no shot at. And then it's going to go, go dark for like four months. And then you'll get a second, you know, kind of a second wind. The film will get a second wind and like go on a secondary run. And, um, yeah, I mean, so far they've they've been right, um, but um, but it's cool. Like, there's nothing like screening something that you're really proud of for an audience, and um, 
I've never done that before with any of the other things that I've uh, that I've made. So this has been even just the few screenings we've done of Shadow Hours has been so far has has been just like a really really fantastic and kind of inspiring experience for me. So does have you had any Q and A's or anything like that or uh... a couple? Yeah, yeah. Um, we did. Uh, well, we we did hold like kind of a. Uh, a premiere, quote unquote, uh, actually a year ago, almost to the day um, that my uh, my agency out here put on UTA in their screening room, and that was a lot of fun. And we and they catered, you know they catered it afterwards, and nice. um, and so there was uh, uh, it was just a really nice evening and a great way to show the movie for the first time and. So uh, we did a little Q and A with that. Oh, actually, no, we didn't. I mean, we, we just talked. Everyone, we just—it was an open bar. <laughs> we all just talked. Well, that helps. You know, afterwards. Right. <laughs> um, but then Holly Shorts, there was a, a Q and A, um, and uh, we'll be doing one uh, in Chicago at the Music Box. But uh, the Holly Shorts one was a lot of fun because uh, that was the first time I sat in an audience that wasn't people who worked on the movie and or, you know, friends and family. Mm-hmm. And so to just kind of gauge like reactions and, you know, if people are following some of the turns and just, it was a really cool experience. And, um, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was I liked it. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So, no, that's cool, man. And there then the go. second, well, the second festival it played at, uh, was in San Francisco and I was in, I was back in Chicago for it, but it actually won. Um, it was it was it won the best thriller award. So uh, unfortunately, of all the festivals for me to miss, uh, that would have been yeah. <laughs> that would have been the one to be at. No, I understand. Well, is and also like, is there a blog or podcast culture around uh, shorts like this, or is it just you know the usual? people that are still covering, you know, regular, you know, regular length films and everything. And there are, you know, some of them are smart enough to get in on this avenue as well. You know, I don't think there is, or if there is, I don't know of it, or I'm not, you know, I'm just not aware. Um, Mm -hmm. There's not really a market for short films in any kind of way, shape or form other than stuff like this, like playing at festivals Um, for, for a while, some friends and I were toying around with the idea of, almost like creating an anthology brand um, and trying to, you know, pitch that to a kind of a VOD network where you're yeah. essentially creating, it's, it's, it's almost like kind of a black mirror kind of format, but in shorter, more like 20 minute, you know, essentially short films. Right. And no, um, why not? yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something we talk about once in a while. Um, but uh, but because beyond that, like it's a it's a really fun medium, um, but it's also like impossible to really do anything or to monetize a short film um, after you make it. So right. you know, I made the Shadow Hours, um, like I said, is is kind of a proof of concept for this feature. Um, mm-hmm. It totally works on its own, but it really is also designed. When you see it, you'll you'll know what i'm what i mean like it's really kind of designed as a like um oh i could see what the longer version of that you know could be sure um sure. piece so um so yeah i mean there is some press that uh 
I know like at, at this this Juggernaut Festival, um, the site Cinema Jaw is going to be doing um, a bunch of interviews, and they have a big podcast that's been going for yes, years. I, I know Cinema Jaw. I know those guys. Another Chicago podcast. Yeah, yeah. So they'll be they'll be there, and, and I'm guessing I'll I'll you know talk to them. Um, sure. But also like when we. Actually, when we did the premiere with Holly Shorts, um, it coincided with uh, it coincided with the release of uh, Hadrian's Wall, and so we actually kind of kind of double dipped a little bit with all the press outlets for Hadrian's Wall, talking about um, Shadow Hours and the screening that was coming up, um, and uh, we're, you know that actually worked out uh, really well. But cool. um, but if we didn't have that, I don't know that there would have been, you know, press attention on <laughs> on a short film playing in L.A. So <laughs> no, I understand, man. Well, no, and I, I just like you said, um, where do these movies go after after they're made? And a lot of times it is, you know, like you said, it's a proof of concept, or I, I don't even know, you know, some of the other reasons. Well, and I guess to not only proof of concept, but also maybe proof of skill, you know, in terms of yeah, there, that's a big filmic. that's a big aspect of it. Um, it's harder now uh, than than it used to be to to get a feature off of a off of a short film, uh, okay. like as a director. Um, mm-hmm. At least that's what that's what people tell me. I mean, I, I don't know um, from personal experience, but uh, I know that like when I made the league. Um, that's what opened all the doors for me, and that was 2008, 2009, yeah, where yeah. there were real serious talks about what my first feature was going to be as as a director, and the fact that I was 23 and had one you know big short film under my belt didn't seem to be an issue. Um, whereas now, and maybe it's kind of the um, the proliferation of cameras and and ease of shooting and yes and the amount of material and content that is out there but um you don't see as many short film creators making that jump to um directing features as we kind of did you know five six years ago um but i could be wrong i could just be totally out of touch and (laughs) i'm just not noticing it um but uh, the notable one, though, that does come to mind is like uh, Damien Chazelle, who wrote Whiplash and then got J.K. Simmons attached and Miles and I think Miles Teller attached after J.K. Simmons. And I think they had some funding, but they didn't have all of it. And so they went and shot like the first seven minutes of the movie as a short film and then brought that to Sundance and sold sold the property to secure the funding so that they could go make the feature. Sure. And I remember reading about it because it was like a big rights thing where the script couldn't be nominated. It wasn't nominated for Best Original Screenplay. It was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Sure, because even, it's seven minutes. Yeah, yeah even though... The feature screenplay way predated the short film. Like he made a short film based on the feature screenplay. They still said the, the Academy still said, you know, it's it's best adapted only. Um, well, because it's what screened first, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And I understand, but yeah, I know, isn't it, man? You know that, or you know, something like will show on uh, Netflix 
uh, simultaneously with theaters, and that'll fuck them up with an Academy nomination. It's yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Very, yeah. very interesting. So uh, I'm sure you're gonna. Who's who's at your Oscar party? Is it is it uh, Bucolato? <laughs> who who who, uh, who do you guys? Have yeah, we'll uh, probably. Are we watching the Oscars this year? Or is Probably, it like a jaded yeah. thing where you're like, yeah, fuck the Oscars. No, no, no. You know? We did, um, well, last year, <laughs> last year, um, Alec uh, Siegel came over to uh, to me and my, my ex's place. And and okay. I think there were one or two other people that came um, and we watched them. And it was a lot of fun because, um, you know, she's a production designer and, and Alec sees everything and I see a lot of stuff and. So we all had kind of our categories that we knew a lot about and had seen all of the the films. And actually, last year we like my ex and I went to a lot of um, early screenings because she's in the art art directors guild. So so we saw all of the award films, and so that was that was a lot of fun. That's a nice this year. Part. I've seen that's very cool. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw the Revenant on like a 4K laser projector at at, uh, at Sony, and it was just like ridiculously good looking. Um, <laughs> it didn't help the story, but it was one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Yeah. I, um, I, was, I, I am. It's so funny. At dinner tonight, me and a movie buff were talking and I'm like, yeah, not a, not a reverend fan. Gotta be honest, man. I respect the director. I respect all everyone involved. It's just not my kind of movie. I'm, I'm not a big wilderness movie. I don't care what the stakes are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a way longer conversation, but, uh, but this yes. year, <laughs> This year, I have seen nothing. <laughs> Neither have I. I've seen nothing. I'm so nothing. glad you said that. I haven't seen La La Land yet. For I haven't sake. either. I haven't either. I have a feeling, much like The Artist a couple years ago, it's going to probably run roughshod but, uh, of, over everything, and that's without seeing it. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting, because I know so, all my friends have seen it, and some people absolutely love it, and then I feel like I'll run into somebody, and they'll make some offhand comment. They'll be like, well... None of us liked La La Land, and <laughs> so I don't know what I don't know what I'm in store for with with this movie. Are you going to try to see it before the? Yeah, season? yeah, I, I think I will. Yeah, I you know I got to use the time. The one that I really want to see, and I, honestly, I, I I'm interested in what your thoughts are in some of these movies. I really want to see the Michael Keaton movie, uh, The Owner, about Ray Kroc, the McDonald's. Yeah, I I will see anything that Michael Keaton is in. I agree. Well, you know, and also, and again, you're you're a South Side, uh, South Suburb Chicago guy. Um, I grew up on the North Side, and in Park Ridge, Illinois, mm-hmm. I mean, either Displains or Park Ridge, Illinois, um, they have a mock-up of what the old McDonald's stands used to look like. Oh, and cool! It's, and it's great, and it's so small. It literally is like this stand where you know maybe there was somebody working the grill and two front guys and that was pretty much it and of course (laughs) being my age i do very vaguely remember seeing mcdonald's like that before they really started to explode in the 70s and uh so yeah so it's very nostalgic for me too to uh, from the curiosity and also the real story i mean it's just it's yeah it's it's not a it's not a whole happy uh business story there's definitely some uh some warts on that story and that's I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how they how they pull it off yeah no that's that's high on my list very cool excellent awesome. all right let uh let bucolato know that I, uh, i'll be talking to him very soon i'm saying this on the air but i and i'll i was going to do it after the conversation but i may as well make it official because uh, we're long overdue with all he's uh, been writing everything's going good with power rangers yeah power rangers uh power rangers is great um 
issue 12 just came out yesterday actually and that's what we're recording very cool. yeah and it, it got into some really cool uh alt uh alt future uh stories uh actually it was um the the character we created the lord draken who was basically tommy oliver had he never left rita's side and how the world would um what would happen what what could have happened to the world as a result this last issue details just that it goes through basically how uh rita and, and draken conquered earth essentially and it's not what you might think it is um i'll also <laughs> all i'll say is that i wrote it three days after the election so <laughs> take that for what you will uh for what it's worth um the idea of authoritarians and moon witches maybe having something in common, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's an issue I'm really proud of. And, uh, um, the, yeah, that one just came out. Hadrian's Wall, issue five, is out next month. Excellent. Um, and then I think they announced that I'm, uh, I'm doing some stuff at Dynamite, too. I'm, I'm reinventing Magnus. Um, the robot old, uh, yeah, yeah. Robot Magnus robot fighter. Um, but I'm doing something very, very different with Magnus with Magnus. Well, okay. No, I, I mean, oh. I'm doing something very different, uh, for the character as well. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, uh, but I don't very, know what's, I don't know what's out in the world yet about that project. So, okay. All um, right. Yeah, but we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll end up talking about that one um, in the not too distant future. And, and there's actually something else that's going to be announced that's that I'm really excited about um, that I've been working on for a long time. You going? Um, you going oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, are, am I cutting out? No, no, you're cool. Oh no, I was just going to say there's there's something else that's going to be announced very soon here that I've been okay. working on for a for a long time. And uh, that'll be one that um, I would imagine you you may wanna you may wanna uh, catch up on. <laughs> we okay, may wanna touch good. base on, I should say. So awesome! No, that's great, yeah. man. Uh, and uh, Emerald City, anything anything coming up? Uh, no, I'll be in Chicago for um, okay for the screening. I understand. Beautiful. It's the same weekend. Um, <laughs> it is the same. I didn't realize it was the same weekend. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. I'm going to Salt Lake in March. That's my next con. Oh, nice. Nice. Yes. I hear that's a good one. Show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, honestly. I've never been to that part of the country, so I'm really looking forward to it. So, cool. As I am cool. for March March 4th for the, the Shadow Hours. And again, theshadowhours.com. Go to the website. Look for future screenings. But if you're around the Chicago area, come see Kyle. Come see me. Come see the Cine Jaw guys. Cinema Jaw guys. Uh, and uh, we'll all be there enjoying the festival and looking forward to the Shadow Hours. So nice going, Kyle. I'm really uh, I'm excited to see it, and I'm always happy to see you. So I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Today's episode of Word Balloon is brought to you by The Comics Canon, the podcast that reads, reviews, and renders judgment on the greatest comic book stories of yesterday and today. Every two weeks, experienced journalists and critics Kevin Moreau and Kurt Holman hold in-depth yet accessible discussions on such well-known comics as Batman, The Dark Knight Returns, Civil War, Preacher, The Walking Dead, Fun Home, and more works that have become mass media icons. 
Also, they discuss popular comics like Saga and landmark events like the Dark Phoenix Saga and the death of Gwen Stacy. Each episode answers the questions, how do these stories hold up? What's their larger impact on comics or pop culture? And do they belong in that Hall of Fame of comic stories known as the Comics Canon? The current episode is on Batman, the Court of Owls, and features special guest Glenn Weldon, NPR contributor, author of Cape Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture, and former Word Balloon guest. It's just in time for the new Logan movie. The next episode, which drops on March 1st, will review Wolverine, Old Man Logan. Comics Canon is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and of course their website, comicscanon.com. Uh, right now, we're going to switch gears and give you part two of our Word Balloon podcast with Ben Blacker. Ben is back. You know him from the Nerdist Writers Panel, the Nerdist uh, Comics Writers Panel as well. Excellent shows, excellent podcasts. And uh, Ben uh, talks about the ATX Festival. It's good timing because on the Nerdist Writers Panel, he has a couple recent discussions that happened at the ATX convention, a great convention revolving around television. And uh, we are going to talk about uh, the world of television, but also the primary reason that Ben wanted to come on was to talk about his new Boom Western that he is doing with Ben Blacker and Andrew Miller, and it's uh, drawn by Hannah Christensen. It's called Death Be Damned. It's a Western, and it's pretty cool. I'll let Ben give us the details on this portion of Word Balloon. I've been talking to Heath Corson, as everyone knows, for a long time. After initially having conversations with Ben Blacker, and it's been far too long since Ben has been back on Word Balloon, but we're rectifying that right now. Welcome back to Word Balloon, Ben Blacker. Thank you, John. I'm thrilled to be back, <laughs> and I'm listening all the time. So Are you really? Like That's nice, Ben. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. You're, I feel like yours is kind of the only legit uh, comic book podcast out oh. there. And I say this as someone with a comic book podcast. Well, I would include yours, absolutely. Now, now give me, because it, it used to be the Nerdist Writers Panel Comics Edition, and now it is... Now it is just the Nerdist Comics Panel. Nerdist Comics Panel, very nice. Uh, Heath, Heath, and I, Heath and I, we kind of reworked it last year after not doing, a, doing it for a while. And uh, Heath and I co-host it, and we have guests. We put it out twice a month, um, because that is all our schedules allow. But, uh, yeah, it, it rolls on, and people can find it at Nerdist Comics panel uh, on iTunes and on the Nerdist site and stuff. Trevor Roth is your most recent uh, guest as I'm looking at it. Is that right? Yes. Heath, Heath just did that one. I think Trevor Roth uh, is one of the Roddenberry Entertainment guys, uh, and they got in touch with us about uh, talking about the stuff they're up to. And, you know, it's, it was an interesting conversation. Oh, that's uh, cool. We'll have... Yeah, we'll have some more coming up. I think we're putting one out next week that, uh, or I guess this week, the week this podcast comes out with, uh, that's all about Birds of Prey that our pal Julie Benson did at one of the cons she was at last year. Um, she's, she's been like a contributor to the podcast. Uh, are you reading Birds of Prey, by the way? Of course. I, of I, I've had, I've had Julie and Shauna on the show and, uh, heard, yeah. uh, heard Julie on a couple episodes of, of your show as well. And, uh, no, they're Man, doing their great. Book is so good. Yeah, the book is so good. No question, man. Yeah, I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite the fan. So uh, I'm, I'm very, cool. I'm, I'm very happy for them. So I'm here. I'm, I'm, I want to make sure that we are recording. <laughs> and <I> just, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, we are. That's good. All the settings seem to be working now. Jesus, unbelievable, man. This is like, uh, 
the the uncut these are the uh, scenes that were on the cutting room floor between uh, Don Amici and uh, Henry Fonda in the story of Alexander Graham Bell. It's before they finally cut. <laughs> no, not yet. I'm not getting you, Mister Bell. Remember when they tried to Skype first? <laughs> have you ever seen that movie? Do you know that movie? I know that movie. I'm, I have I seen it. If I have, it hasn't been for 25 years. <laughs> I understand. He gets acid on his but pants and everything while he's making the call. Oh Jesus! Oh my God! It's just like you know, it's just like more modern day Skype people now get coffee on their lap or whatever. He got acid on his lap. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, but uh, you are you and and Ben Acker have been incredibly mm-hmm. prolific and uh you know are, are you know just cranking out comics all the time and uh you've got a new comic and you have a third writer and uh this is uh through boom studios and yes. uh, and it's uh death death be damned death be damned is the new book um yeah i it's funny like i i feel like we've been putting out a lot of stuff but i've never felt less prolific uh, because when we were doing Thrilling Adventure Hour, we were churning out, you know, an 80-page script every month. This is true. And we don't have to do that anymore. So it, everything everything feels very reasonable these days. Well, tell me about the uh, first. Uh, let's let's give us everybody the elevator pitch on on Death Be Damned, and uh, an interesting western with a twist. Yes, uh, Death Be Damned is a revenge story uh, in the Old West. It's about a woman uh, whose family is killed by seven gunmen, uh, and she literally cannot die until she gets her revenge on them. Uh, along the way, she encounters a undertaker who has sort of made death his study and his business, uh, and he has his own reasons for wanting to communicate with the other side. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a four-issue miniseries from Boom, it's all very reasonable. We've got really cool art from uh, Hannah Christensen, who, uh, like, it's it's this kind of interesting, rough-looking, you know, it, it feels like I feel like a Western not to feel. It looks great. And, uh, no, I, I, I really did enjoy the first issue. Um, oh, thanks. Absolutely, man. No, it's uh, it looks cool, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there are more uh, Westerns out there with uh, female protagonists. I think that's great, and I do think that this is uh, a very cool, like you say, revenge story, and there's a little bit of supernatural things going on in here, and obviously I'm sure we'll <laughs> learn more as uh, as the book develops. You've got a third writer on, on the book as well, though, and uh, tell me... Tell we me do. That. Yeah. Uh, we teamed with our uh, friend Andrew Miller, who is a television writer. Andrew co-created The Secret Circle, uh, from on the CW a few years ago, mm-hmm. and he's currently he's working on a bunch of shows now. But one of the most exciting one is the Tremors TV show, hilarious. Uh, which, yeah, it's it's sort of quietly rolling on. It was announced, gosh, probably over a year ago, but it's uh, it's still trucking, and we'll we'll find out if it's actually going to series. Oh, okay. um, but Andrew's been a friend. Yeah, Andrew's been a friend of ours for a while, and we know he's a comic book guy. Um, it all sort of came about because um, it, it, this was a story I wanted to tell for a long time. And we sort of pitched it to our reps as a TV show. Um, and, and in my head then, it was uh, Exiles plus the Fugitive in the Old West. Okay. I still think it's a good pitch for a TV show. Sure. 
Um, and our, my, our rep said, yeah, we can't really sell a Western, sorry. Um, but as I say, it was a story that I felt compelled to tell and I knew what it was. Uh, so I just kind of wrote the script um, in, in some of the free time that we had in 2015, I think, and then gave it to Ben and he had some great feedback and we worked together on it. And then, you know, Andrew was, uh, like I said, a friend of ours and he's a writer that I, I respect and, and a guy that I like quite a bit. So I sent it to him just to get his thoughts. Um, and he had great feedback, the biggest of which was that every time he suggested every time Miranda, our lead character, dies, she should lose her memory a little bit. So the reason that she's seeking revenge starts to sort of slip away from her the more she tries to seek revenge, which was such an interesting hook to me. Um, and it was around that time that, that someone said, why don't you guys make this a comic book? And Andrew had been wanting to get into comics and Ben and I sort of knew the world and we had been talking to Boom about doing something with them. Um, we had a good experience with the Thrilling Adventure Hour book, mm-hmm. um, the anthology book back in 2013 with them, so we'd been looking for something new to do. Uh, so it all kind of came together after that. Uh, Boom pitched us Hannah, and we responded immediately. We thought she was the perfect person for the job. Uh, the colorist, uh, I cannot say enough about. Is that Konstantin Tarasov? It's... Uh, one oh it is a it is a name i had never encountered before um Juan Uceche. well he did a hell of a job uh, that's it no it's beautifully he colored. really did he it impressed me so much it's it's beautifully colored using sort of the palette of john ford color westerns uh but in this really interesting kind of spooky horror way uh you know look horror and westerns are my two favorite genres so it was only, it was inevitable that I would try to put them together. That's interesting. I, I appreciate the the observation, the John Ford observation, because I've uh, I've been uh, up and down his westerns uh, for a long time, and even more recently in in the last uh, month or two. Thank God for encore westerns. Oh really? Oh yeah. I mean, what I have you, have you what have you watched recently? Oh uh, well, Searchers was on again. I, I'd say within the last couple weeks, and um, mm-hmm. oh God, the one and I can't remember the name of it. It's with Woody Strode. And Richard Widmark, <laughs> and uh, well, yeah, Woody Strode's in a ton of these. Uh, yeah, but it, where he's the lead, and he's he's accused of of raping uh, a woman. Oh God, oh, what is that? Oh, all right, I'm looking it up while we're talking. But yeah, I mean, he's uh, I, is it is it two road together? I just looked it up. N- no, I don't think so. No, but I could be wrong. But hold on, Woody Strode. It's got like a colonel's name. In the Sergeant uh, Rutledge. Yes, yeah, Sergeant Rutledge. There we go, Sergeant I, Rutledge. I've never seen that one. Pretty cool movie, man. Yeah, that seems great. Yeah, and I'm a and 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 especially Woody Strode is a really interesting actor, and that's that's a movie where he actually does get to do more than be stoic and and stand next to John Wayne. <laughs> Pompey, of course, uh, sure. Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, where he's Pompey. So mm-hmm. that's black and white doesn't doesn't really. <laughs> illustrate the palette that you're describing and stuff but uh, yeah if you look at searchers and stuff like that you can uh, i think you can see the links there and also i like hannah's very individual style as well this isn't a this is an indie style as far as the art and it still fits the book and everything and you know that's uh that was a staple of uh, thrilling adventure hour as well the the genres that you guys chose i, I think you got very interesting artists to uh, represent your characters in comic form yeah 
we didn't want we didn't want this book or the thrilling books for that matter to look like everything else on the shelves. You know, we didn't want it to look like anything you might pick up from Marvel and DC, who have a ton of amazing artists. Sure. But I like the I like the indie feel that Hannah brought to this. I also like the sort of you know, it was important to us and to her that the characters not all be beautiful. They're not superheroes. These are we had to sort of ground it in the reality of rough people living in rough times. Sure. I think she really did that. No, that's I think that's smart, and I think I think again, I think you see that in the art. Do you feel? Do you and Ben now feel comfortable enough to bring Andrew along as far as you know, comic book writing and stuff? Do you have you cracked the code on the uh, on the basics <laughs> of the craft? I, yeah, we did. It was interesting, uh, you know, working with someone who had never written comics before how much we had sort of internalized over the past few years. Uh, whereas when we started, you know, we were in the same boat he was. Sure. You know, getting, writing a script where two things happen in one panel. <laughs> you just can't do that. Uh, or sort of putting interior feelings in the script pages when, you know, obviously a comic book is purely visual. You can't, you can't convey that. You're not, you don't have actors acting. Uh, you can feel one thing per panel. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was interesting sort of breaking the story with him and, and figuring out how much story you can tell in 22 pages versus an hour-long uh, television script. Um, and this this also was, you know, Death Be Damned was by design meant to be a very simple, straightforward story. Um, because, again, it, it's sort of bearing the weight of the metaphysical aspects as well. We wanted the plot itself to be very straightforward. Gotcha. Like like I think the best Westerns are. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, the uh, how's, how's it been? I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking now on your comicsology page at, uh, at, your, <laughs> yeah. uh, at your bibliography, your comics bibliography. And How are we doing? I think, I, I think you're doing... <laughs> I think you're doing fine, and I, I mean you've gotten uh-huh. to play you've gotten to play with some pretty fun characters and stuff, and I I want to talk about uh, some of these uh, Beyond Death Be Damned and everything like uh, like yeah. your 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 Flash Gordon stuff. How was that? Um, for me, it was tremendously easy because I was uh, mostly working on something else while Ben mostly worked on that. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. We kind of broke the story together, and then I can't remember what else we were working on at the time, but he had a good handle on it. So I said, "Go ahead and go ahead and do the first draft of it." And to tell the truth, I barely looked at it. Um, I only saw the finished book, which I think came out really well. I agree with you. Okay, well that's that. Well, I mean, maybe I got to get Acker on then to talk about Flash Gordon. That's right. Did he? Did Absolutely. was he the was he the big Flash fan of the two of you? Yeah, he he really has a fondness for that stuff. I think going back to his youth, um, as does Heath, uh, who he he teamed up with on the second Flash, right? Book yes, that he did. Um, yeah, I, I'm less familiar with that stuff. My my frame of reference ends like 1965, then picks up again like 1985. I can, you know, that's okay. I mean, honestly, that's the good stuff. <laughs> that's all right, man. <laughs> So. You know, I mean, really, the, like the King Comics stuff I thought was really exceptional that, that Al Williamson briefly got to do. 
and uh, I like his movie adaptation better than the movie itself. You know, I I got to be honest, being a little oh, bit, you know, well, you know, I was a teenager when the movie came out. I think I was a teenager, either that or I was, because it was the 35th anniversary. I got to do the math. I was a teenager still, <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. and you know, so I wasn't as crazy about it as people younger than me, and I appreciate uh, a lot of the good stuff about the movie. And there is a lot of good stuff about the movie, but the, you know that it was just part of that whole kind of still cheesy uh, hangover of you know these movies should be goofy rather than let's try and make something like really really cool. Sure. And and yeah. you know I, it, again it, it in in a lot of ways did try to adapt what uh, the greats before had you know Alex Raymond and 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 you know gave to the original strip, but you know yeah it's. Uh, it's it's goofy at the end of the day. What can you say? You know, I mean, what, uh, uh, Timothy Dalton's certainly pretty cool in it. Uh, you know, and does does a good Prince Baron and everything. But uh, yeah, uh-huh. I, I, I I like kind of your more traditional, and I really like what um, what Dynamite has been doing with yeah, uh, with me Flash. Too. Me too. Um, I'm I'm eager to kind of to read more of it now that we're not involved with it because uh, I do like I like the way they're exploring all of the King's stuff. I would agree. Yeah, definitely. Madrake and uh, yeah, and the and uh, the Phantom and you know, yeah. No, I agree with that. What? Uh, tell me about your run on Deadpool. Runs um, on Deadpool. Yeah, we've done a bunch, a couple of minis, I guess, or stories here and there. Uh, we had Deadpool versus Gambit last year, mm-hmm. uh, which was so much fun to do. Um, you know, that was pitched to us. Um, I think. You know, we were sort of late additions to it. Everything was sort of packaged already when it came to us. Um, but look, we were we were lucky to get the call and happy to get the call. Uh, so who was your yeah, Jordan, who, who was your artist on that one? Um, who was our artist on that one? <laughs> I'm bringing it up. Don't worry. Look, six months, <laughs> months passed. You forget this stuff. I understand. Uh, Danilo Beirut. Beirut, yeah. Um, yeah. Who's also been doing Gwenpool. Really, he did some cool stuff on it. Um, there's a fight sequence in the first issue that I think is is some of the best stuff, uh, and is worth is worth reading the collection for that alone. But uh, yeah, Jordan Jordan White came to us and said, "Gambit, uh, Deadpool versus Gambit. It's a con story. Do you guys want to do that?" And we're like, "Yeah, we we would love to sink our teeth into that. You know that the crime stuff is something that really appeals to us, and you know we sort of." dipped a toe in that water in the past so to get to do it in a superhero world was really fun and pull out some old characters and you know getting to use um fat cobra from fractions run <laughs> the really character yeah yeah so so silly and you know because it's deadpool you get to make jokes because it's gambit it gets to be sort of uh, a big sort of adventure romantic story and you know gambit's a funny character because he takes himself very seriously and deadpool is a character who doesn't take himself seriously at all so putting them together we thought was was really funny no absolutely that's those those guys rub each other the wrong way i think that that's a good 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 team up good good uh pair up as far as the fight goes and then putting in it from different angles absolutely man I think there's there's something really cool. I mean, look, Deadpool's such a silly character. I'm glad he's as popular as he is. I wish he were a little less popular so I could write more of the book. 
but uh, like teaming him up with almost anyone in the Marvel universe leads to something funny because he's got such a strong personality as do pretty much every Marvel character, you know, so you're going to get something funny or scary or exciting out of any team up. So I, I would love to do more of that stuff. And we're talking to uh, Jordan White and, and uh, the folks at Marvel about doing that. Hopefully, hopefully something will come through. That's great, man. Tell me about working on the Thunderbolts and working on a, on a big team versus a, a book where, you know, the focus is on one or two characters. It was really interesting. I mean, this is a few years ago now, and uh, Charles Sowell had just left Thunderbolt, and we were brought in to sort of wrap up his run, and then I, we were supposed to start a new run, but they canceled the book uh, because of some event that was going on. But man, oh man, did we have a good pitch for what the Thunderbolts could have been. <laughs> oh, that's too bad, man. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it was an interesting dynamic. You know, we were left, we inherited a bunch of visually interesting characters who it feels like sort of cold toughness was the thing that all of them had. So the task for us became how do we dismantle the team? How do we put these characters who really don't like each other? What's, what's the trigger for really setting them against each other? Um, and it turned out the answer was one and the same, and it was to piss off the Punisher and let him dismantle the team. So then it became kind of what happens when we put the Punisher up against each of these characters that he's on the team with and he knows intimately, and we can't really kill anyone, although we did kill Ghost Rider, but he comes back all the time. Um, sure. We can't really kill anyone, so how do we sort of get them out of the picture as we as we move through? and. Um, I think it came out pretty well. There's there's some cool stuff in there. Um, you know, I think the the fight with Ghost Rider is one of my favorite things we've done. That's also it's a character again that visually is so interesting and such a uh, like any fight with Ghost Rider is cool if you have a great artist. And we had we had a number of really good artists on that book. That's cool. Again, I'm looking at uh, at the uh, trades mm-hmm. and. Unfortunately, it's incredibly small <laughs> print, but because uh, it's it's the cover very reduced. This was the all red Thunderbolts team, right? You had Red Hulk, you had uh, you had uh, Elektra, Punisher, yeah. Deadpool, Ghost Rider, like you said. Yeah. Was Venom on your team or no? Um, I think he was out. If he was, Before he was out pretty early. Um, I think he'd gone to Guardians of the Galaxy by then. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, like, Matteo Lali, Carlo Barberi, I mean, these are, we had such great artists that, like, giving each of them something cool to do. And then there was the Punisher Electra uh, sort of love story that Charles had done. Yeah, um, yes. You know, I I remember reading that. Go on. Uh, That we we get to pay off, really. I mean, like, we asked ourselves, what's the emotional hook of this? And we knew it was going to come down to... Punisher and Electra facing each other and what happens to these people who have gotten intimate over the course of their, of their time on the team, but who are ultimately loners. And again, really sort of cold, unironic people. Uh, sure. What do you do when you set them against each other after they've been with each other? Um, so that was, a, that was a neat thing to explore as much as we could anyway. 
That's excellent. And yeah, the arc, the arc is called Punisher versus the Thunderbolts. Mm-hmm. You're looking for it, and it's volume five. Although, as we know, uh, volumes and and you know, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Sure. But I would look for Punisher versus the Thunderbolts if uh, people listening want to want to check out what uh, the Bens had to say about uh, about the Thunderbolts. Yeah, that's a, you know. Look, they're they're all on Amazon. Deadpool versus Gambit, Punisher versus Thunderbolts, Alien versus Predator. I don't look. They're all the People versus Larry Flint. They're all on Amazon. <laughs> you can get them. I did. You do Aliens versus? Did you do an Aliens versus Predator story? No, I would love to do an Alien story. <laughs> I was going to say Man. that's not out there. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to do okay. a uh, Larry Flint versus OJ uh, comic. <laughs> <laughs> given given that they've both faced the people. Exactly. So the people won both times. I think. I don't know. I guess they beat the people both times. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean OJ's sitting in a in a cell right now, so you know, I mean obviously after the <laughs> fact. But uh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh yeah, I don't know. And poor Larry Flint, I mean, you know, he's doesn't have uh he, he is still in a chair, so I don't know if I think it's kind of a draw <laughs> at the end of the day. So I know, cruel, cruel. But uh, no, I was in. <laughs> when you said that, I'm like, wait a minute, because I know they've been doing a lot of Alien and Predator books lately. I'm like, did he do that? No, of course not. Uh, I wish. Um, well, let me. I, let I, me would, ask... I would love to get my hands on that stuff. I mean, there are a handful of like uh, either movie franchises that are being made into really good comics. I don't know if you're reading the current Alien comic from Dark Horse, but it's really good. Uh, I can't remember who's writing it, but he's doing a great job, and the art is great too. Um, well, I know that. Yeah, I know that once they kind of got uh, a new direction to go in with yeah. the new movies and stuff, that yeah, that Dark Horse is really up their game. And I do think that the you know, I mean, well, you know, they have people like Kelly Sue writing it and stuff, and I, I don't know know currently who's writing Alien, but uh, yeah, it's no, they're putting excellent people on it. And it, you know, don't you think as well as someone that does have their feet in both. Uh, scripted live action and also comics. I really think the comic companies are really making a serious effort, no matter what. Even the Charmed comic book is getting <laughs> like, like, hey, let's get this right for Charmed fans. I mean, God, the Farscape comic book was good at Boom, uh, to, yeah. to give one example. I mean, that's the thing. I really do think that all of them are, uh, are are making a serious effort to make the comics as much as they can like the television or film products. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, they really have stepped up the quality on a lot of those licensed things. I wonder, I think it's it's for two reasons. One is you have, you know, people who are fans of those IP writing the comics now. You know, the people right. writing the comics are Aliens fans. The people writing the Star Wars comics, we know are huge Star Wars fans. Um I think the other thing is, that I think the turning point, and tell me if I'm wrong, you know more about this than I do, but was the Buffy season seven comic. I think that really changed the way people look at these licensed characters. No, I would agree. I think uh, I think that's a really great example. And again, the idea, and it, they did this with uh, the Alien and, and Predator comics at Darth, Dark, Horse, Dark Horse as well, is really mm-hmm. organize a writer's room and have a very serious like direction to go in and stuff. And obviously Whedon did that with the Buffy comic. And um, yeah, I, th- I think you're a hundred percent right. I, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you had a chance to read this past summer, those two Star Trek oral history books that came out that no. the franchise, 
Well, because um, as you say, uh, in the in the good cases, they have people who are fans of the franchise writing on the stuff. It it blew my mind how uh, at Star Trek. They didn't want fans, especially when the next generation started. They didn't want fans writing, like for the series. They really wanted they they kind of uh, Ron Moore was like yeah. kind of made fun of when he was a rookie writer as being uh, like this Star Trek nerd. And it's like, yeah, wouldn't you it's, want someone that knows the universe and really is like thinking about those things. Well, it's an interesting thing, right? I mean, I can see where they're coming from theoretically. Uh, and on the Writers Panel podcast, I've talked to Brandon Braga a couple of times. Uh, and okay. Together some of the other Trek writers of that era. Um, and you can understand where they would want people who have, are a clean slate for Star Trek, right? They want people to come in and sort of bring fresh ideas that are not tethered to the very weighty history of the franchise. Understood. That said, <laughs> that said yeah. that there has to be a balance. I mean, you want to get people who are also excited about the franchise and that history, you know, I feel like there's a, there's a happy medium to be found. And I know on this new, on a Star Trek discovery that who knows when it'll be out, but when yeah. they were putting together a writer's room, they were only looking for Star Trek fans. So I'll be curious to see how that's different from the stuff that came before. Not to mention that, you know, yes, yeah, they've, they've switched showrunners. And I understand that Brian Fuller's scripts are still going to be, you know, uh, the scripts they use and everything, but yeah, it will be interesting. I, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've said this before on the podcast, it could be, you know, Star Trek Klingon latrine cleaning. And I'd be like, great. <laughs> When's the first episode? I'm there. <laughs> well, I, I, totally. I have to, I have a confession to make to you. I know nothing about Star Trek. I have never seen an episode of Star Trek. I saw no the JJ Abrams movie and that was plenty for me. Um, I can appreciate that if you're not a fan, sure. Uh, it just, it just, it just never. I never took to it. But that said, I'm, I'm curious about the oral histories that you mentioned. Are they real, like behind the scenes of making of the shows? Yeah, they're incredible. Honestly, <laughs> you know um, I'm into that. Well, it, well, yeah, honestly, that's one of the reasons why I asked because, um, yeah, it's it's just uh, they agonized. Like on Next Generation, they had an episode early on that. Uh, Spock's father was on and uh, you know he was like kind of the focus point of the of the story and they really agonized because they really wanted Next Generation to be its own thing but then they wanted to have Spock's father how much do we talk about Spock in the episode and they they agonized over it oh, and yes. and again it was weird with the last couple television series especially Enterprise the final uh, series the Scott Bakula one um, yeah. they it was, you know, they were looking for original ideas, but they had done, you know, like 600 scripted hours of the other shows by the time, by the time they got to Enterprise, literally that many <laughs> hours. And and finally they leaned into the mythos and said, well, no, let's let's do stories about all the different alien races and uh, and really embrace, you know, see what we can do in, in terms of with nods to what's come before. You know, like, you know, I get it because, yeah, you don't you don't want to be subjected to rules that might have applied back in the 60s that that don't need to apply uh moving forward and stuff. I'm interested yeah. in the in in your thoughts though on um I would say then yeah, definitely read those if you're interested. Get yeah. those books. I think it's called The 50-Year Mission and there's two volumes. Okay, yeah. That looks it's, I think it's, it's even on my Amazon wish list so I remember to pick it up later. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, have you, you know, uh now, there are two new uh 
comic book related uh, TV shows that you know debuted in the last couple of weeks and Powerless and Legion last night, in fact. And I don't know if you had a chance to see either of those. I watched the Legion pilot uh, not too long ago, and I think it's great. Um, yeah. You know, Noah Hawley, he he knows exactly what he's doing. I don't know. I'm sure you've watched Fargo, but both seasons were equally brilliant. Yep. Um, so I, I really trust him to do anything he wants with this show. It's um, very exciting. It, it really was for a pilot. I, I got to say it was the unconventional uh, way that they did it and, um, and, and and the ways they seem to have tied to whatever Fox is doing with the mutants and stuff. I, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. It's the way he's able to juggle that continuity stuff. And again, the, the, um, the history that can sort of weigh you down, you know, I, I, he just, he does such a light touch, but an effective touch on that stuff. And then look, he, he's a really amazing storyteller. Um, we've seen it in Fargo. We've seen it. I don't know if you've read his novels, but they're really terrific. No, you know, the guy knows his way around a story. Uh, and so it's, it's really nice stepping into a pilot, especially, which are so hard Mm-hmm. where you feel like the storyteller is so confident. I agree with you, man. Yeah, I. Uh, and it's funny, you mentioned Pilot, and uh, while you were answering, too, it occurred to me, on Netflix, quickly back to Star, Star Trek, are you yeah. aware of this documentary, That Chaos on the Bridge? I have heard of this. I heard it's great, too. Yeah, that's another one that, given what you investigate when you have uh tv writers on and stuff i really think you'll find that really really interesting oh nice so, i'll totally check that out That's absolutely cool. man yeah look, so I'll, and po- I'll watch any behind the scenes thing i'll read any making of book i'm i love that stuff <laughs> have you uh so you haven't had a chance to see powerless yet i haven't watched powerless i saw the original pilot before they did reshoots on it and it was it was really good uh ben queen was behind that version of it uh, ben since le- and Ben is a great writer and a great guy. Ben since left, um, and it was uh, taken over by uh, Patrick Schumacher and his partner, whose name I just blanked on, um, who are also terrific writers and very funny guys. Um, but I have not seen it yet. Patrick did invite me to the set to come hang out and see what they were doing, and man, it looks so good. I can say that from being in the offices, being in Alan Tudyk's character's office. And like the little touches they have everywhere. Like these are real, these are comic book nerds making this show. uh, And and it really shows. It's super fun. And Vanessa Hudgens is a star. Like she has this amazing, I hesitate to say Mary Tyler Moore quality, but she has a lot of, similar qualities to Mary Tyler Moore in that she just, you love her immediately. Uh, she just has this real star power. And then they've got this amazing, very funny supporting cast around them. I, I can't wait to see it. I just haven't had a chance yet. No. And I, I agree with what you're saying about uh, Vanessa. No, she does. She's got that. It's that whole, uh, the cam, the camera makes you love these people. I mean, I, it's just the way that they're photographed. There's, they've got this kind of it quality and everything. And Alan Tudyk, it you forget how funny he is because he can right. really do great serious work as well. And it's I, you know, I'm an idiot. Ten years later, I'm like, oh, he's Steve the Pirate in Dodgeball. <laughs> <You know? 
which is such a nothing role. But it's like, and I really was it. Is it death, death at a funeral or whatever? The British, uh, I never version thought that of one. that story. Yeah, he's 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 great in that. He's, yeah, I mean, he's I just. Thought... What's that? I didn't realize he was in that. He does. He's a guy who he's been a secret weapon for years and years. I think he just steals any scene that he's in because he's such a dynamic actor and he commits so hard to a character. We had him on the Thrilling Adventure Hour in the stage show a bunch of times. He's on the podcast and he did the um, the concert film with us when we when we finally shot the show and cool. we did our, our musical episode and Alan comes in at the end as a robot uh, player piano who has learned, <laughs> how, who's learned how to love. And he, <laughs> I, I will never forget in rehearsal, he was such a sport. He has like literally three minutes of screen time. He stayed through the whole rehearsal. We were at Nathan Fillion's house doing it. He hung out for the whole rehearsal. And then when it's his time to be on, he puts on this crazy voice that sounds like a drunken, like, robot with an iron jaw. Like, you could see this character. And it was not what we were imagining at all, but we were like, oh, my God, yes, that's it. Do that. That's amazing. <laughs> well, uh, he, showed his, he showed his robot chops again in Rogue One, obviously. And that's I, right. You know, and it's, yeah. and I, saw, I saw his name on the cast, and it really was, again, about midway through the movie. And I'm like, oh, that's Alan Tudyk. Okay, fine. <laughs> Good. He's great. And yeah, he was he was very very funny. He did a, he did a tremendous job in Rogue One, and uh, no, I love it and I love the idea that it's it's kind of Bruce Wayne's cousin. I just <laughs> that's terrific. Uh, yeah. it's I like Powerless. I'm uh, I have uh, I have a good feeling, and also I appreciate again along with um, Legion the the unconventional approach to this stuff, and that yeah. now we're seeing more more shows and also more films coming up that are taking chances. Yeah, we're in, a, we're in an interesting time in the genre evolution, right? Uh, the genre sort of, it sort of evolved much faster than it, it, than other genres did because that's the world we live in now is the yes. to evolve very quickly. But like when Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 and X-Men and X2 and even the first Avengers, when these all, or Iron Man, I guess, when these all came out and we comic book fans got so excited because they were like comic books come to life. Uh, it's amazing that 10, not even 10 years later, we're at a point where you can stretch the boundaries of what these shows are and make a comic book show that doesn't have to feel like a comic book come to life. Yeah. The, um, you know, I keep comparing it to the Western and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the way the Western evolved. And that's why as people were kind of, getting itchy and kind of feeling like they were watching the same movie over and over again, uh, especially if, you know, the in the case of maybe the Marvel movies, which I've liked them all, but I mm-hmm. do hear the people that say, okay, it looks like the same rope trick, you know, time and time again. And then luckily, you know, I think, I think Ant-Man was a shift. Obviously Deadpool was a shift at Fox and mm-hmm. what we're getting now, what we're getting on TV, I, I think powerless and Legion are great examples of that. And it, like you said, it has to be faster. And but I do think that there's still so many places to go, and that's again why I think I was blown away by Legion last night uh, because it really did manage to be unconventional while still having a lot of the tropes in place. 
Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see, uh, and this is something Acker and I have talked about quite a bit, it'll be interesting to see when, say, the Star Wars movies can sort of start pushing out the boundaries of what it means to be a Star Wars movie. You know what I mean? Sure. And I think Absolutely. Rogue One may even be the beginning of it, where it really, a lot of it really feels like a war movie in a great way. Um, Definitely. And I think the comics are doing that a bit. And I think uh, Ben and I have a Star Wars young adult novel coming out next month. And we were allowed to sort of, you know, play with the Star Wars toys, set it in the Star Wars universe. But these aren't necessarily characters you've seen in the movies before. And, we, and nobody cool. pushed back on that. That's terrific. Hey, well, I even remember in the Dark Horse 90s years, um, Crimson Empire, I thought, was a terrific comic. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the uh, Tales of the Sith and uh, Tales of the Jedi and, and uh, a lot of the anthologies moving forward and stuff would, you know, clearly in the Star Wars universe, but with characters you, you just weren't, you know, familiar with. And it still felt like Star Wars and it was still something different. Yeah, and I think that's, that's sort of where this genre evolution begins is, if you know, if you can push out the characters at first and then start to build a movie that feels a little different around them. Like, how cool would a horror movie set in the Star Wars universe be? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Am I the only one who wants to see that? Is that, is that like an audience of one? <laughs> I was saying, yeah. <laughs> I know, but nice. you, it's your show. You're a good host. You want to humor your guest. Well, I'm not... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> not at all, man. The, um... Thrilling Adventure Hour, which you yeah. know, really put you guys on the map, and you had the live show, and as you say, the concert film and everything. Um, it, are you are you satisfied? Is that project over, or you know, years from now, might we see something else? And never say never. What do you think? I I do think never say never. Um, you know, we ended, we stopped doing the monthly show in 2015, um, frankly because it was it was a lot of work. Uh, sure. We wanted to do other projects, um, and and honestly, De- Death Be Damned is one of those projects that we wanted to do. Um, then we we spent last year kind of doing more live shows than we expected to do, having ended the monthly show. Um, and so, in December, we did what we said is our last show before an indefinite hiatus. Um, and I think that's that is that is true. Um, like you say, never say never. We do love writing so many of these characters. We love working with our, our cast of, you know, 12, 14 core actors. Um, we love working with Jordan Katz, our musician, and his band. Uh, but, again, there are other things we want to do, which is not to say we won't explore Thrilling Adventure Hour properties in other media. And that's it's something we're trying to push the ball forward on. Okay, because, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Given the strength of a lot of the specific stories and stuff, I'm surprised that, you know, somebody hasn't, uh, you know, a an adult swim or somebody like that hasn't come to you guys and said, let's let's really commit and do, you know, however many episodes. John, nobody comes to us. <laughs> that sucks, man. Well, good for you. Hey, well, you know, honestly, congratulations then, because... You're doing exactly what we're all hoping to do, and that is make your own way. If they will come to you, fine. You're, you guys went out, you made something that you believed in, and you yeah. got that great group of people together to put it up and everything. 
and look at the body of, of live shows and podcasts and concert film that you were able to do and also cultivate an audience that got behind you and, and you know, put the money forward to make those things happen. Yeah, we really we are proud of what we accomplished with Thrilling Adventure Hour. I mean, it was we did it for over 10 years um, and it, it really was bigger than we could have imagined. And I think we didn't you know, you don't realize it when you're in it just how much of a life of its own this thing has because you're so busy making it and putting it together and getting everyone involved. Um, but we're so lucky to have kind of grown the fan base who not only, you know, are they really loyal, which we appreciate, but they're not stupid. You know, we never had to talk down to them and they trust us as storytellers. And I think will follow us, you know, they, it was, it's so nice when we get thrilling adventure fans saying they loved our Deadpool comic or they love Death Be Damned or, you know, whatever other thing we're doing. That's, that's immensely flattering because it means they trust us as storytellers to bring them more of what we do that's not necessarily the same thing they've been seeing for 10 years. So, sure. yeah, that's, that's been a really cool part of it. Um, you know, as far as the, the Hollywood of it, we took a run at doing a Beyond Belief TV show. It kind of fell apart. Uh, it doesn't look good for that version of it uh, ever existing. But again, never say never. Um, okay. We had, uh, through Image, we put out two four-issue miniseries, one for Sparks Nevada, one for Beyond Belief. Uh, last year, um, it was an okay experience. Um, you know, we, unfortunately, Phil Hester, who was doing our art on Beyond Belief, got sick yeah. and was unable to complete all four issues of Beyond Belief in the time that Image wanted. So they wound up dropping us, which was really disappointing, but we weren't about to replace Phil. We really, one, we, we like him a lot. We love what he was yeah. bringing to the book. Um, but two, it didn't seem fair to us. Like, this poor guy gets sick, and we're not going to drop him from the book. Um, luckily, we were able to put out issue four as a digital comic eventually. So all of those issues are available. They're out there. I think it's on our website. Um, and we're talking now about how to put together collected editions of both Sparks and Beyond Belief, as well as new material for both of those. And so we'll... Well, uh, you and I will have another phone call when that actually happens. That's awesome. That's great, man. And I agree, man. Yeah, you know, and and Phil, Phil's a Phil's a genius, and B he's a great guy, or yeah. maybe it's A and A, you know, A and one, A and <laughs> one and one and one A. But yeah, great I mean, so no, I don't. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's cool, man. And I'm excited to hear that uh, there there might be new stuff uh, coming up along with collected editions of both. So that's yeah, very you? very cool. Excellent, man. Um, what do you think of? Uh, what what's exciting you right now on uh, on television? That's always a big question that I got for you. Uh, Legion was the big one. I'm really excited about that. Uh, what am I watching right now? Top Chef. <laughs> I, hey man, I got my Food Channel shows. I understand. <laughs> I, I seriously, I love Top Chef. You know, I love any. Uh, I admire any reality show where it's about people doing their best work, and Top Chef really is that. Um, you know, I don't watch Project Runway, but I like the idea of it. Um, I'm sure, you know, 
like like anyone, uh, I really am just watching the news lately. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You know, like that's it's all I really can do. And then uh, if I have to turn it off, I turn it off and we'll read a comic. But um, boy. we do. Uh, my wife and I do have like in the evenings we'll watch the comedy news. We'll see what Seth Meyers had to say the night before. Sure. Um, he's been doing. He's. I've been watching him now almost for a year, and he's been doing amazing work uh, in his monologue, which isn't even a monologue, but his, his sort of desk. That cl- yeah, the closer look when he when yeah. he does the closer look. Yeah, no, it's great. It's, it's absolutely really great. Smart stuff. And Samantha B is just the best there is. I mean, no lie, man. Exactly. It's you know everyone misses John Stewart, but they're luckily I, I think her show is great. I think what Seth Meyers is doing when he does closer look, John Oliver's coming back uh, in a few days, so. I think we're all kind of relieved that that's happening and stuff. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, I have to be honest. I like Trevor Noah, and I and the Daily Show continues to do a really good stuff. But there is something missing. It's you can't. I mean, honestly, I'm a boxing guy, and it's kind of the same problem Larry Holmes had after following Muhammad Ali. It's you, <laughs> when yeah. you when you have somebody that great, and and really, again, I mean, Larry Holmes, you got to. I mean, if you're a diehard boxing fan. He belongs on pretty much every uh, top ten all-time great heavyweight list, but you couldn't tell him that at the time in 1982 when people are like, "Oh, this is really boring. I miss Ali." And um, I wouldn't go that far with Trevor Noah, but something's missing. Something is. Missing. I think. I think the the difference to me is something we got from um, John Stewart that we really want and need right now, and that Samantha B is doing is this righteous anger. Um, you know, she's, she's angry. She's enraged like the rest of us are. And sure. from Trevor Noah and from John Oliver, too, who I really like, we're getting a sort of distance disbelief. Um, and maybe it's because they're not American or not American. Possibly. Right, um, yeah. You know, that they, they do have a little bit of distance, and I think they're both really... Their comedy is really right on. They're takes on on the news stories are really uh astute and really smart but i want to i want to see something more emotional which is what we got from stewart which is what we got from colbert when he was on the colbert report uh and it's what we get from sam b right now i would agree with that and by the way i love what colbert has morphed into on cbs and i'm really yeah. glad that it seems like cbs is content that he may not get the Fallon numbers or even the Kimmel numbers, but they've got a much more, uh, they've got a different show, and I think it's a smart show, and I think they yeah. like having the smart show. I think I think you're right, and I think, you know, they're smart to recognize. Look, uh, the Letterman show really became great when they let Letterman be Letterman, and mm-hmm. to let Colbert be Colbert, that's the strongest the show is going to be. And I, I think he's doing great work. Uh, yeah, so the the comedy news is the stuff I'm watching in addition to the real news. I will say, I never miss an episode of Supergirl. I was going to get to the CW shows. I I'm, <laughs> I agree with you. I think I think this season has only gotten better. And yeah. I'm, I'm a huge Legion of Superheroes fan, so the fact that Monel, uh, their version of Monel is popping around and yeah. stuff, I, I was excited from day one, and I, I love what they're doing with the character. I think, um, you know, the storytelling is really fun uh they're doing the interpersonal stuff is great 
it all rests on uh, Melissa Benoit's shoulders, yeah. and she's just so winning. Every scene she's in with another character makes that character come alive, uh, and that is no small feat for an actor. So I, I, the show is just utterly charming. I really love it. I thought I would miss uh, Allie McBeal, but I don't. <laughs> I What's understand. her name? Calista Flockhart. Calista Flockhart, yes, as Cat um, Grant. And I agree. That was a great dynamic at the center of the show. But uh, definitely. They've done, really, they've done a nice job sort of filling that in, and I think Monil actually fills that hole in a nice way where they get to bicker, but for them they also get to be sort of love interests and there's there's great stuff going on in that show. Yeah. I what did you think of the crossover with the other CW shows? Look, you know, as a comic book fan, it's just exciting <laughs> to see that happen. She the I to me the best episode of Supergirl was still the Flash crossover in the first season. Uh Oh, definitely. Neither show has ever been as good as that was because it just there's something electric about that and the way they played off of each other. And, like, to get to see that with a bunch of these other characters, it was really fun. I will say this. I am so sick of, and I, look, I'm saying this to every superhero movie, to every superhero TV show, I'm so sick of seeing superheroes fight in warehouses. <laughs> I understand that you are on a television budget, but come on. Like, even uh, the uh, Captain America Civil War, they fought in that airfield. <laughs> and look. It was a great fight. There was so much cool stuff in it, but ultimately, it's just in an airfield. Give me something. Give me something a little more exciting. That's hilarious. You Go know, it's funny. Uh, the <laughs> the uh, Highlander, um, Adrian Paul, has been going around the, the the world and is doing these kind of fun experiences, especially if you're like a Highlander fan or a Dungeons and Dragon person, where it's like. A day or two days, and and in Europe they're in front of these beautiful castles. But he kind of uh, shows you sword technique, and uh, they end up at the end, I think, like videotaping a or filming. I'm not really sure which digital film uh, a fight sequence. And in some of these European locations, you know, like I said, they're fighting, you know, in front of a castle or on a beach somewhere with beautiful structures or whatever. And they came to Chicago and they filmed in a warehouse. Oh, come on. Why are you well, even because in Chicago? They made it, I know, they made it in, well, I don't know how you get a permit to fight in front of the water tower or something like that, but you, uh, they, uh, they, yeah, they, um, they, they, they had a warehouse, and I guess they outfitted it to look like a scene from Highlander, which, of course, would be a fight scene in a warehouse, so there you go. That's hilarious. You're killing me, man. That's, Good. that's great. I, I, I agree with you in terms of uh, Flash and Supergirl, their chemistry. I love during the crossover, I had a friend who was like, you know, they introduced Superman at, at the beginning of this season. He should be in this crossover, too. And I didn't think so. And further, I loved how they've really managed to... Supergirl is her own hero. And I mean, and, and yeah. enough also of a physical or super-powered threat as Superman would ever be. And I kind of like that. No, I'm like this. I'm like it's her show, and she should be the most dangerous or the most powerful hero of these groups of CW heroes and stuff. And it, it. I mean, hey man, I could be. I, I like to think of myself as a liberal, but I can be as piggish as you know the next meat and potatoes guy and go. Yeah, I'd rather see guys fight. Thank you. But um, <laughs> but no, honestly, that said, she's great. Like you said, and she's so. Winning, great, great uh, adjective for her. But, but also, yeah, like I buy her as a legitimate threat. 
Yeah, absolutely. They've, they've done such a uh, smart job building her up in the world and building the world around her that you, you buy her as a thing. I mean, the other fun thing about that crossover is it felt like it did that thing when, you know, you're reading these big crossover comics at 11 years old going, how come Green Arrow is in the same fight as Supergirl? What does he bring to it? And they absolutely showed what he brings to it. It was I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and I also like everyone kind of turning against Barry and yeah. Ollie being the guy that kind of stands up and is like, no, 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 wait a minute. And and yeah, you know, it's uh, I think uh, for for older crustier comic book fans, there's <laughs> that feeling that Arrow is pretty much just you know a poor man's Batman. But I do think that the producers and uh, and uh, Steve Amell and everything have managed to, you know, make it its own thing. And again, nothing but really great comic book people behind all these shows. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it. You know, I I, I love it, and I I know Kreisberg and and Guggenheim and Berlanti's credentials and stuff, and it's it shows on the screen. Yeah, one hundred percent. And even I mean, most of the writers are real comic book nerds, and I think what they're they're really good at on, on all, really all of the shows. And I, I watch most of them fairly regularly uh, is they never lose sight of the emotional story. And, you know, that's, that's what a good, not just comic book show, but good TV show and a good story has is that emotional hook. And they all, they always do that really well. Definitely. I'm, a, I'm assuming you loved Westworld. I watched Westworld. Oh, talk to me. <laughs> I like that. No, no, please. I thought Westworld was fascinating. Um, I'm I'm either too smart for it or too dumb for it. I can't figure it out. Um, But I thought it was an absolutely fascinating uh, experience in television. Um, I did not follow along with all of the conspiracies and theories and things. So I, I really kind of watched it over a weekend uh, once it was over. And there was so much interesting stuff in it uh, that I could not turn it off. But I don't know, and I'm going to watch another season, But and I thought the finale was fantastic, and I thought the pilot was fantastic, but I don't know what happened in that show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. And look, that's well, I, not a bad thing. Well, for a, a show that has a uh, at its core a mystery, I think that is a good thing, and I, and I think we should have things left unanswered. And I I agree. I I didn't follow all the conspiracy theories that bloggers and and you know people writing uh-huh. and podcasting might have thought about it. Didn't bother me. The one observation that really made me laugh, and I didn't it didn't occur to me as I was watching it, but uh, it was um, Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live when she was supposed to be Angela Merkel. Uh-huh. And she's like, yeah, what is this with this Westworld? Man, that was nihilistic for me, and I'm German. <laughs> and I was crying when she said that. Oh, and I'm like, yeah, man, so it was true. an incredible downer. It's so true. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it was an interesting thing. It, I feel like I experienced it more than I watched it. Sure. Like that there was a mystery in it or a series of mysteries in it, I guess. But I don't. I didn't know the questions I should be asking to have things answered. They were just kind of answering questions that I didn't know I should have, if that makes sense. And again, it does. Maybe it's over, maybe it's over my head or listen, I don't know. 
honestly, it was, I'm glad I watched it. I can't wait to watch more of it. The actors were phenomenal on it. Uh, they elevated even some of the clunkier stuff that happened. Um, and also they spent a lot of money on that show and it really shows. It looks really good. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Yeah. And that's another question. That's another question that I have regarding uh, where TV is currently now. All the different platforms. Is there any word industry-wise, Ben, if like some of these things are are going to go away? Because while we're, it's an embarrassment of riches in terms of how many great things are being made right now. Uh, so many with so many different platforms. I only have uh, Netflix and um, Amazon Prime. So mm-hmm. any you know the stuff that's happening on Hulu, I don't get to see the stuff that's happening even on some premium channels that aren't uh, widely distributed, like Epics. Uh, it mm-hmm. sounds like it has a couple really neat shows. I don't get Epics on my system. Mm-hmm. Uh, Audience, the Fox uh, network. I yeah. hear a lot of great shows around there. I don't get Audience and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I, are they are they waiting out the a la carte future that it seems like we're heading towards? Or are some of these things, do you think, uh, going to blow up before... Uh, you know, with within the next three years or so, I uh, I do think there are a handful that are struggling, but but none of the ones you name. I mean, all of those have money behind them, or they're partnered yes. with some other channel that is can basically keep the lights on for them. You know, I think there are some sort of platforms that are startups um, that took a stab at at. Uh, scripted programming that may or may not be around in a couple of years. But I I think you're right to say that we're headed towards this a la carte um, sort of, sort of watch what you want format uh, and, and both TVs and, you know, smart TVs and then Apple TV and stuff like it are only going to make that easier. Um, And, and, and that's great. Like I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't watch any, I watch very few network shows. And when I do watch them, I don't watch them when they're on. And if I even watch them on my TV, I'm not necessarily watching them from my DVR. I'm watching them from Hulu or something. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Um, So, so I don't know. Uh, Look, I'm just happy that all the opportunities are out there. It It makes selling a lot more exciting. Sure. That's cool. I mean, and, yeah. and how's that going? How, how is that going for you guys? You're saying, uh, you know, what's anything, anything on the horizon? Uh, nothing I can talk about. We're sort of circling the horses and seeing what we can do this year. Um, it's, it's kind of, like I say, it's an exciting time because there are so many outlets. There are so many platforms to sell to. And again, I talk about this on the writers panel all the time that, if you have that crazy idea that you absolutely want to do, that you are super passionate about, which Ben and I have a few of those, um, there's an outlet for it and where there wasn't five or six years ago. Uh, there are, there's maybe only one outlet for it, whereas five or six years ago, you could go to four different places with one idea, but that idea was a little more mainstream and what you couldn't be quite as out there. So, you know, we have a few things that we really would love to get off the ground. We'll see. We'll see if we, if we can, you know, the selling season doesn't really begin until summer. So we've got a good, you know, four or five months to kind of pull it together, package these things. Cause you have to have a package now. 
and uh, then get out there on the market with them. That's cool. What? Uh, what? Tell me about the uh, the television conference that they have in Austin. Is it ATX? ATX. Yeah, it is. It is the most fun. It is the, the way they describe it um, is it's the convention or the festival for people who are fans of DVD extras, and it is. <laughs> It's 100% that. Uh, I'm, I'm on their advisory board. I've been part of the festival from the very first year. They're going into their sixth year, I believe. Um, and I've seen them grow into this really a force in the industry, which is fascinating, where they started with maybe 1,000 people attending. They've had upwards of four or five in the past few years. That's um, great. But, yeah, it really is. I mean, that DVD extra thing is absolutely true. They do cast reunions they did gilmore girls last year they're doing um designing women this year that's been announced wow uh, this year yeah it's cool and then it's you know it's the kind of festival where uh it's as much fun for industry folks as it is for fans you know i've gotten to meet a lot of people whom i admire noah holly among them uh there but with david hudgens and uh, a bunch of other writers who i really like um it's uh, it's a, the kind of place where as many people will pile into a conference room to hear a bunch of writers talk as they will to see a bunch of TV stars. And that's so unusual and really a cool thing. You know, these are the people who attend, both the, the badge holders and the industry people who go are real fans of television. And they want to talk about television and what television is doing and where it's going and where it's been. Um, it's, it's an exciting thing. Uh, I, I really, people should go with atxfestival.com. Uh, it's in Austin in the second week of June every year or around the second week of June every year. Well, you guys have released, uh, you have released panels on uh, the writer's panel from yeah. ATX and everything. And yeah, I've, I've loved hearing them and uh, some of the, uh, wasn't it the, uh, Phil Rosenthal uh, interviewing uh, Jim Brooks. Oh, how great was that? Oh my God! I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you know, if you're, if if you're, obviously, we're all television fans, and I would say to the Word Balloon audience, yeah, if you're, if you're really not hip to the ATX, look for these panels because they're as good as any great comic convention panel. And um, yeah, you get like Phil Rosenthal interviewing Jim Brooks about all the great shows that he was involved with and films. And, you know, one of the great comic geniuses of our time and, you know, from The Simpsons to Mary Tyler Moore and the like. So, yeah, you, you'll really find stuff that you like at, at ATX. So uh, fi at least find that content, if not go to the actual convention. Definitely. Yeah, I've, I put out uh, over the course of the year, they let me put out all the panels that they record and that I record. Uh, so they're out on the writer's panel, which is on iTunes, which is on the Nerdist uh, website and network. So. Yeah, people can find those, and there are so many good ones. I got to do a uh, comics panel this year, or a comics-to-TV panel this year at ATX uh, with Bendis and uh, Javi Griot, Mark Swatch, and uh, Rosemary, uh, what is her name? I can't remember her name. She was the director for Jessica Jones. Okay. Uh, it was a really fun conversation. Bendis is, you know, look, you know he gives good panels. Definitely. Absolutely. Javier's, Javier's a really great guy, too. I haven't had a chance to have him on the show, but I, I met him in New York. Uh, Loeb introduced me to him. And, uh, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, God, uh, great stuff. And now I'm blanking on his his wonderful ABC Family show that was based on his comic. 
the middleman. Uh, middleman, of course. Lady X this year is doing a uh, middleman reunion with Javi and Natalie Morales, and I think a couple of the other actors. Uh, but but at the very least, Javi will be there and Natalie will be there. I think they're going to screen an episode and do a little chat. Should be really. That's fun. awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's that's one of those shows when they track down the history of of you know comic book television. Uh, the middleman should get its due uh, because it was really a smart, funny show. Yeah, so. and Javi has, Javi has great stories about making that show and what they let him get away with and how much he learned. I mean, he was he was really very new in his career when he got to do that show. Um, and he's been on my podcast a bunch, and he also has his own, show, his own podcast uh, with Jose Molina where it's just the two of them talking about really doing a deep dive on things, various aspects of TV making, um, not just writing but producing and, and pitching and really everything. Uh, where Javi tells great stories about working on The Middleman and Lost and everything he's worked on. That's um, awesome, man. I'm, I'm going to have to look for that. What Do you know the name of it? or? Uh, their show is called The Children of Tendu. T-E-N-D-U. <laughs> I like it. That's cool. That what do you got coming? Record? I don't know. No, not, if it is, I don't remember it. Uh, shame on me if it is a Star Trek reference. They're both big Trek nerds, so I, I feel like it might be. Well, that's very know. cool. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got coming up on uh, the writers panel? Um, man, a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I just put out an episode which people have been clamoring for with uh, Eric Kripke, who was my boss on Supernatural, uh, cool. and Sean Ryan together talking about their show Timeless. Um, I have an episode Excellent. that I really enjoyed. Uh, Brian Koppelman, who does the great podcast at the moment but who yes. is a longtime screenwriter. He wrote Ocean's 13 with his partner, David Levine. Uh, the two of them were on, and it's a really, it's a great conversation. Brian and David are so thoughtful about what they do and about the business at large. They created billions, um, and it was a, I really enjoyed having them on. Yeah, I don't know, a lot of fun stuff. I have Barbara Hall, who created Madam Secretary, but more pertinent to my interests, created Joan of Arcadia. Oh, Wow. Do you remember that show? Did you watch that? Of course. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, T- Amber Tamblin, right? Amber Tamblin, yeah. Jason Ritter. It was a cool show. But Barbara oh, yeah. Hall, I sat down with her when I was in New York back in November, and we had a great hour-long conversation. And She started out on um, in the Falsey Brand camp with Northern Exposure and I'll Fly Away. And, uh, so cool. she had a lot of interesting shows. things to say. But, yeah, a lot of great guests coming up. I'm, I'm excited about the next few months of releases i've done a lot of recording lately and i've got some more atx panels that'll be out too excellent uh, that's great the, man the preacher folks uh one with sam catlin and some of the cast members i'll be putting that out i think in a couple of weeks very cool that's yeah. awesome i'll tell you madam yeah. secretary literally is one of my network shows that i do watch because i think they do that kind of you know west wing sort of uh vibe show uh, very well yeah. and it's a uh, yeah show. yeah no, that's cool. Hey, dude, you got a smart podcast, and I'm not being nice. It's the truth. Oh. And well, it's you know you you we we operate in the same world. Only I'm on the comic side, and you're on the TV side in terms of you know getting into process and um, you know the ideas behind the ideas and everything. And I think you do it, yeah. a, an excellent job getting that out of your guests. And I think they are encouraged and happy to have the forum to talk. And it's it's it interests me that. Um, I, we get a few things like the book Difficult Men 
that you know focused mm-hmm. on all the different uh, showrunners from The Sopranos to Breaking Bad, and you get that uh, that documentary that was made about uh, showrunner producers. And I think finally writers are getting their due in terms of story, you know, story and character. And you know the the smart fans know those are the keepers of plot and character. So you know instead of, instead of going to David Boreanaz and ask him about Angel, you, you're really better to go to Tim Minear and, and Whedon and, and ask them about Angel, stuff like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny when I started doing the writers panel uh, back in 2009, I want to say was the first few. Um, no, you know, I, I I think we've talked about this before, but I started it because it didn't exist already. If people yep. were having these conversations with writers, I wouldn't have done it. I would have just listened to it. Um, but no one was talking to writers back then, and it sort of made it easy for me to get guys like Vince Gilligan and Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse and, you know, sort of big names in writing at the time. Since then, as you say, there's been this explosion and a real interest in the people who make the things that we love. And look, I'm glad I listened to all of the writing podcasts, not just yours and mine, but a whole lot of them where people sure. are talking to creators about the creative process. It is it really is endlessly fascinating to me. So, you know, 300 plus episodes later, I'm going to keep having those conversations until they shut me down. boy. No, I'm glad you're <laughs> out there. And, and I agree as far as the other great writer ones as well. And uh, I, I'm glad that there's still room for you to, uh, you know, do comics and write television yourself and still do the podcast. I know uh, as someone who has to, you know, juggle a full-time job and, and do this stuff, how tough it can be. So, uh, you know, is is it, do you, I, I know you give a lot of your proceeds to, uh, and by the way, and I'll give you the chance to promote uh, the writing program that you guys are behind. Uh, what, yeah. uh, what's, what's that, what is that uh, charity? The, uh, the live, proceeds from the live podcast that I do, which are fewer and further between these days, go to 826LA. Uh, but 826 is a national organization founded by Dave Eggers, originally in San Francisco, but now they're in every major city in the U.S. Uh, and they're basically a uh, after-school teaching and tutoring program that encourages writing in kids, uh, I think, up to high school. Uh, they encourage writing and creativity. They really do a great job being sort of community centers where kids can come and express themselves creatively, uh, primarily through writing. So people can go to a26la.org, a26valencia.org, a26boston.org, any any number of these, uh, 26 Chicago. Um, they're all over the country, and people should really check them out, either to give or to volunteer, because they could always use uh, help even if it's just tutoring, they can use help with that, but they could also use help with special programs, which they do a lot of, which are always really cool. They're they're worth checking out all their websites. That's excellent, man. Very, very yeah. cool. Well, I will uh, I will spring you because I'm sure you've got stuff to do. But uh, the book yeah. is called Death Be Damned, and uh, it's uh, out of Boom Studios. Uh, yeah. First issue yeah. uh, comes out next month. It's a, no, it's out now. Oh, it is out now. Excuse me. Yep. I'm looking on the Boom website, and it said issue one shipping March 2017, so I apologize if it's out. It's already oh, out. They're full of lies. Uh, issue one is out now. Issue two is out March 15th. Uh, it's a four-issue miniseries. I hope people will check it out. We're, we're really proud of it, and it's something a little bit different from Acker and me. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad you guys are uh, stretching and uh, you know <laughs> playing in other genres as well, and uh, uh, keep up the good work, man, as uh, both podcasting and writing. I, I, I'm always glad to have you back. 
and uh, I look forward to another conversation because uh, you, you've got a you got a good ringside view of what's uh, going on in TV, and I, I always appreciate your point of view. That's Ben Blacker, and that'll do it for this episode of Ward Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening. I think I've got all my uh, technical problems fixed. It's been a weird month. All of a sudden, uh, my uh, software that I record my Skype conversations with was getting hinky, and it's, of course, because Skype updated and uh, the uh, software didn't. The other software didn't, so uh, there was a problem. And uh, hopefully it's been fixed. And uh, I'm very excited to be giving you new conversations uh, in the next couple days. And uh, we got great people coming up here on Word Balloon. Stay with us. Today's Word Balloon was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are great deals happening now at InStockTrades.com. And the great thing is, if you order $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. It's very easy to get up to uh, $50 when you consider some of the great deals that they have going on. Uh, we could talk about some of the indie stuff that they've got going. I think I only talked about uh, Seven to Eternity in the in the last break. Uh, check out Eclipse from uh, Zach Kaplan and Giovanni Timpano. Uh, this is a really neat book from Image. Forty-two uh, percent off for the first volume. It's uh, five dollars and seventy-nine cents. Big ticket items. How about the uh, War of Kings Aftermath Realm of Kings Omnibus? Uh, featuring the work of Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, uh, great writers. Uh, this is the post-War uh, of Kings event, Marvel Cosmic at its best. It's uh, 50% off, $62.50. You can also get things like, uh, well, let's see, we got some mainstream stuff here. Uh, things like uh, Green Lantern, Trade Paperback Volume 8, Reflections, uh, from Robert Vendetti doing the writing, uh, Billy Tan and others uh, handling the art chores, it is uh, 42% off, $9.85. You can get the New Avengers by Brian Bendis uh, Complete Collection, Volume 2, New Avengers 11 through 25, uh, and uh, Giant Size Spider-Woman number 1, New Avengers Annual, uh, The Illuminati One-Shot, and Civil War The Confession, all inside this collection of New Avengers stories from Brian Bendis, 42% off, $23.19. There's X-Men, The Extraordinary X-Men, Volume 3, Kingdom's Fall, uh, featuring uh, the work of Jeff Lemire and others. Uh, that is uh, 42% off, $10.43. So there's some of the few uh, books that are on sale right now at InStockTrades.com. There are, I'm sure, more coming up in the days ahead. But uh, check it out. You'll find great books at great prices. InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon today. More great stuff coming up. Uh, we've got plenty of February left to give you more entertainment, and uh, that's the plan. Uh, don't forget, next month I am in Utah at Salt Lake City for FanX. Really excited about that. My buddy Marty Pasco is going to be there. Mark Wolfman is going to be there. Uh, Agnes Grabowski is going to be there. Uh, a few others, and I will give you more details as I know what the hell I'm doing. But I've put in for a couple panels. And I think the plan is for me to record those panels, so I can't wait to bring them to you. And it's going to be great to go to that part of the country if you are in the Salt Lake area or close enough. I do hope that you will come to FanX and give me a chance to uh, say hello and thank you personally for listening to Word Balloon. Uh, as I said, thank you for the new members of the League of Word Balloon listeners who have joined up and uh, the uh, existing members who have uh, upped their subscription rates. Truly appreciate it at this time in my career. And uh, doing what I can to uh, keep the bucks coming in. But in the meantime, fear not. Great word balloons on the way. 
Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2017. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 